0: Hi Pastor John here. Welcome to our broadcast from Warrenton Bible Fellowship. We're blessed to have you with us and I hope you'll stay to hear an important message about our church right after the service. But before we get started let me ask you a question. Do you ever lie? Have you ever lied? A woman named Rahab who lived in Jericho a long time ago lied and she did it more than once. What happened to her? What can we learn from it? We'll explore the answers in today's sermon from Joshua chapter 2 Rahab. I want to give a welcome to Emily and, and Bailey Jeffries from Arkansas. Good to see you guys. I'd yeah. like <laughs> to turn to Joshua chapter 2. Did you hear the announcement? Next week is, uh, is the luncheon. We've got the, the uh, uh, Hawaiian theme. And it's going to be Hawaiian shirt day. This is just a warm-up. It's just a warm-up, because the louder, the better. Amen? Come on, guys. (laughs) If you're wearing Hawaiian shirts at home, send us a picture. So, you know, while we're looking at Joshua 2, let me... me, I I love reading um, cultural commentary. I I like reading it from Christians. I like reading it from non-Christians, because sometimes you get a different perspective on it. Um, But... Let me just mention a couple books, Uh, Russell Moore's Onward, uh, Jonathan Lehman's How the Nations Rage, uh, Rod Dreher's uh, Live Not by Lies, Votie Bauckham's Fault Lines is an amazing book and it's recent, and there are things in there that we need to know as a church. Now you're not going to agree with the doctrine on all of these people, it's okay you're intelligent people, you know your scriptures, you'll be able to spit the bones out. Uh, But there's another guy named Douglas Murray, who just released a book called The War on the West. Uh, I recommend it highly. Uh, Douglas Murray is not a Christian, but he is well-versed in Christianity and the scriptures. And basically, his book takes a lot of time to get to the point that he wants to make. And, And his point is, we're all doomed. Now, this is generally one of the undercurrents that we see when we read uh, input from people that, that don't know the Lord as Savior. It's okay, uh, but he says we're all doomed. And at, at the end of his book, he says that our only hope, their only hope is to see the return of reason and rationality. Now, that sounds encouraging, um, but I've got to wonder whether or not that's our only hope. And our sermon today is about a doomed town called Jericho. You all know the name. The sermon title is Rahab. We're going to look at one individual in Jericho. Now, we're going to see Rahab's dilemma. And she's in a, she's in a tight spot. So we'll see her lie. We all know about Rahab's lie. If you don't, you're going to hear about it this morning. That's in Joshua 2, verses 1 through 7. We will see Rahab's faith in verses 8 through 14 of Joshua 2. And we're going to see the result of all that, how all this turns out for her, in Joshua 6, verses 22 through 25. So let me give you the context of what's happening here. Uh, The Israel, the Hebrews, are on the banks of the Jordan River. They're in Moab, right across from Canaan, uh, the land that God had promised to give them. And the last time they had been there in Joshua 2, the last time they were there was 40 years prior, and they hesitated. They got afraid. Oh, there's giants living there. This could be dangerous. So they didn't go in, and they were, they were doomed to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So they're, about to, they're back, and they're about to enter again. There's something exciting going on here. Moses is dead. Joshua's leading. The only ones that survive that entire generation are Joshua and Caleb. Israel has had several astounding victories on their way up the eastern shore of the Dead Sea. And everyone knows where they're headed. Everyone that that sees this huge army, there's 600,000 some odd men, which means there's probably a million and a half people there everybody knows that they're headed for Canaan, just across the river from Moab. Now, Moab is modern-day Jordan. So, to give you some perspective on where we are now, now they have this this vast, this powerful war machine that's sitting over on the the eastern bank of the Jordan, uh, about 14 miles from Jericho, and they're sitting in a place called Shittim. Now, um, We've got a map for that here. Oh, you're not going to be able to see it. But the, literally, the Jordan River is between Shittim and Jericho, 14 miles between. It's a plain. The people in Jericho can see the lamps and the lights of the army. They can see the dust being kicked up during the day. So they're on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, which is known as beyond the Jordan. Whenever you see that in the Scripture, we're talking about across the river from from Israel and jericho jericho 's in their sights it 's the first town this army 's going to encounter uh, the first time that they 're going to encounter in the whole land of Canaan and by now, everybody knows that Canaan has been promised to the Jews, and so everybody 's shaking in their boots now Shatim is also if you were with us several weeks ago, we talked about Balaam, remember Balaam and the donkey and their prophecies and everything this is where all that took place it's the same place and that's kind of significant uh, because the net result of the situation with Balaam and the donkey and the false prophets were that Israel prostituted themselves with the women of Moab fell out of God's blessing and so here they are back in the same place again I think that's encouraging don't you because God God doesn't give up on his children God doesn't abandon his children. He doesn't say, "Oh okay, that did it. You made that mistake. We're never doing that again. God is encouraging them. He's equipping them. He's giving them victories to encourage them along the way. Maybe you've had some kind of experience like that. So even the location of where Israel is is an encouragement to Israel and to us. So by the time all this happens, the citizens of Jericho, they're terrified. What's going to happen next? The town is going to be shrouded in darkness and apprehension and paranoia and just outright fear. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at at how this rolls out. And the first thing we're going to see is Rahab's lie, 1 through 7 of Joshua 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, Sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies. That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that what happened when they were at the border before they sent spies in? Now, God told them to send the spies in. Joshua's kind of moving on his own because he's being a wise general. But the first time, God told him to send the spies in. The problem was that the spies scared everybody. So Joshua's brave enough to do this again. He says, go view to the land, to the spies, especially Jericho. And when they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, why would they do that? You would think, oh, they're supposed to be godly men. Why do they end up in the house of a prostitute? Jericho was a crossroads of sort. Uh, so there were a lot of people coming and going from the town all the time. The spies needed a safe place to stay. Uh, so Rahab probably had some sort of in or uh, like a pub or something like that. And so it would be a gathering place for people that were from out of town. So this is kind of the only safe place these spies could go without attracting too much attention. And uh, they're in a town though, where the folks are nervous. And you know what happens when, when people get nervous, they get hyper alert, don't they? They're, now everybody's hiding in a corner is a p- potential threat. Uh, strangers look a little unusual you know is and and so it's hard for them to go undetected and we find out that's true because in verse 2 it says and it was told to the king of jericho behold men of israel have come here tonight to search out the land now search out means that they're here to reconnoitre they're getting information and everybody knows they're going to attack verse 3 then the king of jericho sent to rahab saying, sent to Rahab. Somebody saw something. You know, we're we're not real clear here, but somebody saw something going on with these two strangers. And somebody goes and says to the king, there's spies in the city. How do you know that? People saw these guys walking into Rahab's place, and it goes on and on. So the king sends, sends to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who've come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land verse 4 but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them now Rahab is risking everything here it's not just she's not just not being nice and you know there's a an element of hospitality here that some commentators want to dote on that's not what's happening Rahab is making a decision that could cost her and her family their lives if if she if they find out that she's hiding these spies uh, trying to keep them from the king, they're going to come in and execute everybody. And they're going to do it publicly, and they're going to do it painfully, to make an example of everybody. So she doesn't stop, though, at just hiding the men. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And there it is. Rahab's lie. She does know where they're from, that's why she hit them. She says, I didn't know where they were from. Now here's the problem with a lie, and any of you who have ever told a lie know exactly what I'm talking about, so I think I'm talking to everybody, I do. One lie leads to another, doesn't it? You lie, then you lie to cover it up. And it just goes on and on. The same thing happens to Rahab. Watch this, verse 5. And when the gate, what she's saying, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Another lie. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them. It's kind of comic. You know, Rahab goes, I didn't know they were spies. They went that way. They're about to close the door. You better hurry. And these guys are off running. Oh, we'll catch them. Don't worry. Thanks, Rahab. You're a true patriot. So on and so forth. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as his pursuers had gone out. Now the spies can't get out. They're trapped in the city. It's a tough situation, isn't it? Rahab's lie seems to have spared these spies, these men of God. And we're going to grapple with this a little bit, but know this, that a sovereign God has used Rahab's lie to protect and preserve his children, to pave the way for... For Joshua to take Jericho. So Rahab has done this lie. We all know. We all know it's a sin. Amen? We're not supposed to lie. But she did. And God has used it. What's happening here? Where does it leave Rahab? Watch this. Rahab's faith. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Wow. She is Lord here. Yahweh. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Uh, I once had an argument with another brother about all doesn't always mean all. And he literally laughed at me and wanted to throw his coffee on me. Uh, but Rahab says all the people in the land, are, their hearts are melting. Rahab's is not. Rahab knows something, doesn't she? There's something happening in Rahab. She's calling God the Lord, she's, she's embracing his promises. And so verse 10 says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, they're right across the river, who were beyond Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And all that is absolutely accurate. Rahab knows the stories. She's heard about them. The problem is everybody in Jericho's heard them too. That's why they're all terrified. But there's a little bit more going on here. Everyone's heard these stories, but Rahab, Rahab believes them. She believes that the stories are being conducted by the authority of a sovereign God. She's embraced it. She says, I know who your God is. Then we know that all that's true because of what she says next. Verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Okay, and then we see this. Rahab says, For the Lord your God, He is God in heavens, above and on the earth beneath. Rahab's confession of faith. The news of this approaching army has struck terror in the hearts of the people in Jericho. Their knees are knocking. And they've got one woman. In the middle of the town, that confesses that this is the hand of God. This is God moving among his people. And my people are standing in the way. That God is king of heaven and earth. What she's literally saying is what we all know to be true. He is the sovereign Lord over all creation. Even the gods that she was taught to worship as she was growing up. This is a pagan society. They had multiple gods. It's an astounding confession. And and see, for Rahab, the easy thing to do would have been to just turn the spies in and hope that the walls of Jericho and the army of Jericho would protect her. But she doesn't do that. Instead, she forsakes her own people, and based on the things that she has seen and heard, pledges her allegiance to the God of Israel. Proclaims that God is the one true God. And what we see in this is Rahab's moment of transformation. Rahab has changed. And, and, but, but she knows war is coming. She knows it's going to be a rough time. It's pretty realistic about that. Verse 12, she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. So upon Rahab's statement of faith, upon her actions and backing it up, the spies agreed to spare Rahab. Now, you can read that whole story. There's a scarlet rope and a bunch of other things that may or may not be symbolic of what's happening. But... The spies leave with this agreement to protect her family. So in order to see how everything turns out ultimately, we've got to go to Joshua chapter 6. Turn there, Joshua chapter 6. And this is the result of, of Rahab's actions. Joshua has moved on, on Jericho. Um, again, a familiar story. God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you're going to go across the river, we're going to send all the priests out first, they're going to play instruments, and you're going to follow them behind, and you're going to do that once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, uh, you're going to do that seven times, and, and when you're done doing it the seventh time, we're going to have all the priests blow the horns, and all the guys shout. And I'm sure Joshua's sitting there going, to, pardon me, could you repeat that again? He hasn't seen anything like this. He's seen some miracles. He's been delivered. There have been victories that they should not have had that they had. He's seen the Jordan, the waters in the Jordan part so they could cross over. He's seen how powerful God is. So he trusts God and he does it. And they do it. And when they shout, the walls fall down. And the amazing thing is, if you you could see Jericho today, the ancient site is about 15 acres. It's not really big at all. And it's built on this slight rise, and the walls are built at the top of the rise. And in order to get into the city, if the walls fell inward, you'd have to kind of slide up this rise and then go over the rubble and everything. The walls fell outward and created ramps into the city. It's incredible. You can see the ruins there now you can see the gates that are burned. It's really an amazing sight. So that's where we are in chapter six. Joshua's moved on Jericho. And in the middle of the battle, we see this, Joshua six twenty two. But to the two men who spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all of her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire. And everything in it, only the silver and golden vessels of bronze and of iron, they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, but Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So the result of Rahab's lie is that she and her family are saved when everyone else in the city is doomed. So that, that, that's Rahab's dilemma. You know, we saw this lie. We're trying to deal with it figure out how this works. We saw her faith and we saw the result of all that. So there are a couple of practical lessons that we can learn from this. But, you know, this is lessons for today from the OT. Uh, So I want to be able to give you some things you can kind of hold on to and appropriate. There's some real good practical lessons here. But our real goal is to find out what this passage says about the character and nature of God. What do we learn about God? Because we read the Bible to find out about who? Oh, thank you. Praise God. We read the Bible to find out about God, not to find out about us. But God in the process teaches us things too. So here's some practical lessons. Rahab had to make a decision. And it was a tough decision. She didn't know the law. She might have been aware of it, but she wasn't aware of everything that was written. That's not really an excuse. But in making this tough decision, she she chose to violate one biblical truth, one biblical tenet, that we shouldn't lie. And she chose to violate that tenet in order to honor and observe a greater truth, a greater tenet, which is the sanctity of life. So Rahab's stuck. If I tell them the spies are here, they're going to kill the spies. Me too. And probably all my family. But if I don't tell them, the spies will live. And these people will be responsible for their own actions. So she holds on to saving lives. Now, this requires some careful thought because as I was preparing for this, I began to think about ways that I could lie and get away with it because I'm holding on to a greater truth. Now, we all know where that process is going to take us. It's down the what some would call the road to perdition because we don't have that kind of license. We don't have the license to, oh, if I lie, then... This will happen. If God asks me about it, I'll say this. So, Rahab, Rahab has done this. What do we do about it? So, she, she lied to save lives. She was in danger. So were the spies. She could have insisted on maintaining her integrity. Now, we hear frequently when we get in situations like this, we go back to the Holocaust And what would you say if the Nazis showed up at your house and you had Jews in the basement? And some people go, I would say, oh, there's Jews in the basement. And they would march in and torture those people and kill them. What do we do with that? So we got to be careful not to hold on to legalism so tightly that we hurt people or that we, we cause people... To be murdered. And it's a tough situation. We need to recognize that. But we come upon those moments when we have to choose where, whether to violate one commandment or the other. What do we do in those moments? The Bible's very clear about the sanctity of your life. Rahab valued that life over her integrity. She was serving his spies. She was helping protect him. She lied to save lives. What would you do? I I don't know what I would do. I would like to think that in that moment, and, and the only answer to anything like this ever, is to say, Holy Spirit, help me. We don't have that kind of wisdom. Father, give me the words to say. Help me through this. You've given me your spirit who dwells inside me. He's a counselor and a guide and a comforter and a convictor and all those things. And I need that help right now. Then we need to trust that God will be true to his word. So, the other thing, the other practical thing here have you noticed that throughout these passages, Rahab is called a prostitute? I like that King James calls her a harlot Rahab the harlot. Just so that there's no mistake about what's going on here. We know. We know she's become a faithful woman. Now, and we know that because she shows up in, of all places, Hebrews chapter 11. The hall of faith for, for Christianity. So what, why would the Holy Spirit... Now, well, we have to understand that these, these are words that are inspired by the Spirit of God. <laughs> why would the Holy Spirit put this label on this, this godly woman, we'll find out how godly she is in just a minute, so that for the rest of eternity she would not be known as Rahab the transformed but Rahab the prostitute. Oh, you thought the lie was a tough thing, huh? <laughs> wow. I think, I think God did it to give Rahab and us, some idea, a harsh reminder of who this woman was and what she did before her relationship with God. It, it's, it's just a signpost of saying this is what she was. But, but wait a minute, wait a minute, a, a relationship with God is supposed to make me a new person, isn't it? It, don't I get a new heart? By the way, you know that whole passage on being a new creature and a new heart, you know where it comes from? Ezekiel. Old Testament. Old Testament. So the next time somebody tells you I'm a new person, a new heart, in particular one of those people from the church who don't appreciate the Old Testament, say, you know, Ezekiel said that. You know. So isn't our relationship with God supposed to make us brand new? Isn't a believer supposed to be a new man? Doesn't Scripture tell us that the old man passes away and the new man comes? Why would God inspire this author to call this woman a prostitute forever? That's that's not the final word on Rahab, right back there in Joshua. I've already mentioned Hebrews 11. Look what Hebrews 11 says. Now, James mentions her also, but James calls her a prostitute too. Hebrews eleven twenty nine 29, by faith these people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians when they attempted to do the same were drowned, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So God, and we know this is true, please. we, We know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know there's no condemnation for those who have a relationship with God. So God didn't want to bring this up from Rahab's past to condemn her. He wanted to ensure her and us of where Rahab came from, of what she was saved. It's not quite enough for us to know that we've been saved, brothers and sisters. We need to know what we've been saved from. That's part of our testimony. Otherwise, we may just begin to take God's grace for granted. We may convince ourselves that we did something to help God along in our salvation. That there was something worth saving in us. And if we allow ourselves to go down that path, we will end up on the path that, that thinking that God has observed something in us that he wanted or he needed. When we hear that Rahab was a prostitute, it should become a constant reminder of her transformation and her rescue. And it should prompt us to consider what we've been saved from, what we were, and how mired in ourselves we were, and how by the grace of God we have been pulled out of that. And we should go down on our knees in... in Thanks for the magnitude of God's grace that would change us from what we were to what we are. That becomes our testimony. I was lost. I was doomed, just like the people in Jericho, just like the people Douglas Murray's talking about. I was doomed, and God saved me. How he totally changed us from sinners to people of faith, just like he did Rahab. It's a reminder of how great God is. And not all of us may have had the same dramatic transformation that Rahab had. But we still need these reminders that we're in God's kingdom by His grace alone. That we haven't earned it. We didn't work our way into it. It's what our catechism was about. And this woman, this Moabite, read Gentile, prostitute, shows up. In the genealogy of Christ. This is incredible. Matthew 1.5 And Salmon, the father of Boaz. We looked at Ruth a few weeks ago. The father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was Boaz's mother. Isn't that incredible? And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. And Christ runs in the bloodline of David. Okay, those are good practical lessons, right? What's a deeper lesson? Watch this. What do we learn about God and his plan of redemption for his children? Instead of thinking about Uh, the way I structured this in the beginning, instead of thinking about Rahab's dilemma, focusing on the lie, the faith, and result, let's, let's take a look at Rahab's story this way. Listen carefully. We see Rahab's sin in Joshua 2, verses 1 through 7. And then we see Rahab's confession of faith in Joshua 2, 8 through 14. And then we see Rahab's deliverance in Joshua 6, 22 through 25 write that down go take a look at it later on because when we look at it this way we should see our own story we should see the story of the gospel sinners repent they have faith in Christ and they are delivered so God reaches way back three to thirty five hundred years ago to a story about a harlot who lived in a town called Jericho that doesn't even exist anymore To show us how he can save you and me and anyone else who confesses faith in Jesus Christ. And anyone who doesn't do that is doomed. It's doomed. Douglas Murray's right. We're all doomed. Just as much as those people in Jericho were so long ago, they were doomed. There was only one way out, one way to be spared the wrath that was about to descend upon Jericho, and Rahab took that way, her belief in God. Rahab did not insist that we need to return to ration and reason, that everybody just needs to think their way out of our situation. And God is very clear about that. If you want to escape the wrath, if you want to escape that large group of people that are doomed, what do you do? You confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You confess your sin and believe in Him. And the Scripture says you will have eternal life. We're not doomed, brothers and sisters. We're children of the promise. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. Thanks that you've given us a way out. We pray, Father, for those that don't have that way out yet. Lord, that they would hear this truth and come to you. That they would be transformed the same way Rahab has been transformed. We thank you, Father, for the reminders of those things we have been saved from. And the beautiful pictures of those things we are saved to. Not just this life here on earth blessed to be at peace with you. To experience your joy. To experience your rest. But to have an eternal home where we can enjoy those blessings forever. So we pray Father this would be the witness on our tongues and in our hearts that I was doomed and now I'm saved by the grace of God. And it is in His name that we pray amen amen thank you thank you for tuning in we'll be back next week um, for our luncheon and our hawaiian shirt day bring batteries for your shirt thank you mm-hmm. pastor john back here again if you are blessed by the service let me ask you to do us a favor click on the like button below that little thumbs up icon If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd be blessed by that. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter at WBFVA. And we're also on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, You can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving and follow the links from there. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in historic downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.